We want to sing with glory today because of what God has done. Are you excited about what he's done for you? Come on, let's sing about it.
heaven, thank you so much for listening to our praise that we offer up to you. We know that you have given us a brand new name, the name of Jesus Christ. And it is that name, Father, that, that we know it is the name that we will all bow and revere and worship. It is the one that we wear in this world today. Now, thank you so much for giving us power, for giving us a future, for giving us a, a purpose outside of ourselves. It's been too easy to live for us. It's just too easy to just go back into our old habits. Today, Father, marks the beginning of us remembering that there's a story that you had set in motion well before this earth was even here. So we thank you for Jesus Christ coming to this earth, coming to this world, being worthy of our praise. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Philippians 2 tells us this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This has always been the plan. This has always been the story. And we're just a part of it. God, as the author, has said to each of us, I want you to be a part of my family. And he sent Jesus Christ so that we could do that. But this plan has been in place before any of you were ever thought of. And once we're long gone, it still will be the plan. I want to make sure that we're thinking about that as we go to the tables in a few moments. Remember that this is all about hope, the hope that there is a future, the hope that there is an eternity, that there hope that there is a faith in God that is beyond us, a purpose outside of ourselves, a story that is way better than our story by itself. We can continue down the path where it's the same, or we can say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want for me? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember today what it was that Jesus Christ has done. So when you go to the tables, you're going to have uh, a chance to be able to take the bread and the juice together. And this is, as a family, what we want to do is remember what Christ has done. So when we take the bread, we eat that, we're remembering that his body was broken. When we drink the juice, we're remembering that his blood was shed. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, this is the time to do it. You're going to be able to do that in the black boxes. And we have this other really odd thing called the generous bucket. If you want to be extra generous beyond your offering, just throw whatever you want in there. It goes to people in need in this community. But before we do that, though, we're going to sing about hope. We're going to sing about the living hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Remember, this is not about us. It's about him. It's about his story. It's about his plan for each of us, the one that has been set in motion well before we came here. Let's remember Jesus.
the table to remember what Jesus has done for each of us. Good morning. Really glad you're here. I'm going to ask you to do something a little weird as we start out this morning. Pull out your phones if you've got a camera on your phone, okay? You're not going to use it quite yet, but get your camera ready because I'm going to ask you to use it. By the way, if after we're done with this, if you stay on your phone to check your messages or play games, you're going to tick God off. So when we get done, Bible app or put it away, Okay. Here are a few of my favorites. This first one to me kind of looks like the doorway to hell. Two doors. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's a demon. Come on, dude. It's either one or the other. Make a choice, right? There's another one. Next one is uh, kind of for you guys, right? You're with your lady, and up is hardware, down is women's shoes. In his mind, up is heaven, and down is hell, right? <laughs> The next one's for you ladies. Are you ready? A woman's view of heaven. No line. And look at the guys. They're in trouble, right? A woman's view of heaven. This next one is for our millennials and Gen Zers. They're in heaven looking down at their hands, and an angel is like most of these new arrivals seem incapable of conversation. They just stare at their hands in despair. Some of you guys look that way right now, right? This is for you old rockers. Stairway to heaven, highway to hell. And Robert Plant is saying to Bon Scott, whoa, dude, bummer, right? <laughs> this next one's pretty funny if you're weird like I am. Hey, Bob, remember my wife Janice? Of course, you might not have met her until after she was cremated, right? That was, that's funny to me. This one is my daughter's favorite. I really have to go in a handbasket? Really? And this one is Steve's favorite. We keep the holy cow in the barn, the holy mackerel in the lake, and I guess I don't have to tell you what we keep in the outhouse, right? 
Two more. This next one is for Ben Bellamy and the rest of you nerds out there. Here are nerds in hell. Hot enough for you, right? And the last one, Jesus showing me memes from my phone and explaining why I can't go to heaven. That's probably directed at me for collecting all these things for you. Okay, got your phones out? There's a QR code behind me. It's supposed to be behind me in just a minute. Jordy, did you put it up there? The QR code, can you slip back to it? There you go. Scan the QR code and make sure that it takes you to a site where you can vote, okay? And now we go to the top five. Pick the funniest. Your job is to pick the funniest one, right? We're going to give you about 10 seconds. Pick your favorite, and we'll be able to see it online. You ready? All right, that's it. And it looks like the winner is, no, where's number four? Which one is it? Can we get that slide back up there? Oh, here it is. It's right here. <laughs> Go back to number, keep going. Come, come this way. Is that, the, is that the one? That's not number four, is it? No, 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 D. Keep coming. Come my way. Keep scrolling. Keep scrolling until you get to the last slide. Keep coming. Keep going. Keep going. That's it. That's the one. That one's the winner. I don't know if it's your favorite, but that's the rest of the weird people in here. That's the one your favorite. Enough of that nonsense. Unless you're going to stay on your phone and read the Bible with us, put it away. This is the last sermon in our part one of our Believe series, this unfiltered Believe series. What do we believe as Jesus followers? What do we believe that's different, that makes us different, that sets us apart? We started out with this. We started out by saying we believe in a big G God. We really do. An eternal, transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-holy God, and yet He is stunningly loving. You believe in a God like that? And even though He's all that, we believe that He cares deeply about every single one of us, despite the fact that we are not holy. And by comparison, almost infinitely tiny and almost infinitely insignificant. In fact, we believe that He cares for us so much that He sent His own Son into the world to die on a cross for us to deal with our sin, the sin that was separating us from God, to restore the relationship He created us for, because that's why He created us in His image, to do life with God, for God, God's way forever. Now, that's the stuff we talked about in the first five sermons of this series. If you want to catch up, you can go online. They're all there. For the last month, we've been talking about some other things we believe as Jesus followers. We believe in the church as God's idea. The church is God's idea, not ours. We're in this thing together, dragging each other to heaven. And it's not just about dragging each other to heaven. We believe that God wants us to care about all the people who are not His children yet, just like He does, even though they're not Jesus followers. And then last week, we talked about a really weird one, a tough one. We believe that God owns everything. He owns it all. It's not my body. It's not my life. It's not about my rights. It's all His. Believing that stuff makes us kind of weird, doesn't it? But we Jesus followers believe this stuff. But there's one more thing that we believe that may be the wildest of all, of all the countercultural things that we believe, See, a lot of people believe in life after death, but it's what we believe about life after death. 
And what I'm going to do this morning is something I rarely ever do. Back in 2009, I preached a sermon based on some work by John Eldridge called Epic. It's about the big fat story of God, the epic of epics. In fact, all of our greatest movies and stories borrow their power from the big fat story of God. Well, the last part of that big fat story of God is about our final chapter, eternity. Your story's not over when you die. You get that? This morning, I just kind of rewrote that sermon because some of you guys have never heard it and some of you guys need to hear it again. So here it goes. They lived happily ever after. Those great words, don't you wish it were true for you, for yours? They lived happily ever after. They may be some of the most beautiful and haunting words ever penned. Why do some of the greatest stories end that way and leave us with a lump in our throat and an ache in our heart? maybe even a single tear running down our cheek. Is it that God has written that happily ever after on your heart? That God has written eternity on your heart? And every great story that we tell is an attempt to put into words what God has written in us. Think of some of your favorite epics. Can you remember how they end? After his noble death in the Colosseum, Maximus, the gladiator, reunited with his murdered wife and son in paradise, happily ever after. All the friends gather together to love on George Bailey at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, happily ever after. After all the battles and the dangers and the drama, there's the coronation of Aragon in The Lord of the Rings, happily ever after. Half the Avengers are disintegrated in the Infinity Wars. They're back in Endgame. Red and Andy are reunited in the Shawshank Redemption. And every one of these stories taps into a hope inside us for a happily ever after. They draw their power from the longing that God has planted in your heart. Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis picture our happily ever after. Then Aslan, the lion, turns to them, the children, and says, you don't look as happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy says, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you've sent us back into our own world so often from Narnia. Keep going. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped. A wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and your mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, you're dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, Aslan no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I can't write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they did live happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they're beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What if that's not a fairy tale? What if? What if that's our ending? 
What would it feel like to have a wild hope rise up within you, a longing for this happily ever after that's been written by God on your heart? See, guys, we know that our part of the story is moving rapidly to an ending here. For some of us, the ending is getting close. We know that even if we manage to capture a taste of Eden in this life, even if we're fortunate enough to get some measure of love and happiness in this world, we can't hang on to it. Your health won't hold out forever. Old age will eventually conquer every one of us. One by one, our friends and family will slip away. And then our time on this stage will be over. <laughs> like every other person who's ever lived, we will take our last breath here. Then what? Is that the end of the story? Is that all there is? We hope not. If death is the end, then the story's a tragedy, and Macbeth was right. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Someday death will defeat us here. It will come. Then what? Now our enemy, Satan, is a liar and a thief. And of all the precious things that he has stolen from us, perhaps the most insidious theft has been of our hope. He's stolen from us the wonder, the magic, the promise of a happily ever after. And he steals that hope in so many different ways. To those without any faith, he whispers this. This is all there is, right? Started by accident. It's going to end by accident. You were started by accident. You're going to end by accident. And then there's nothing. This is as good as it gets. It's no wonder people are depressed. It's no wonder people drink too much, eat too much, sleep too much, watch too much TV, spend mind-numbing hours in front of a computer screen basically checking out. If they allow themselves to feel the longing they have inside for something more but have no hope for that something more to ever come, it's too much to bear. But Satan steals that hope from those of us with faith too. To many of us, Satan whispers an even more diabolical lie, harder to dispel because it drips with religious language. He whispers, Satan or heaven will be a never-ending church service in the sky. Holy cow, I hope not. He says, you're going to get to worship God forever, singing one glorious hymn after another, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I hope not. I mean, our worship services here at Cap City are pretty good, and some of my sermons are flat-out extraordinary, and you could listen for hours, right? <laughs> but really, I'm ready to go home in an hour or two. Don't you think you'd want out of heaven after a few days or weeks or years or centuries if it was a never-ending church service, even if the worship was perfect? Do you know, when I was a kid, I didn't want to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell worse. But the idea of heaven singing in choirs and playing in harps forever sounded an awful lot like hell to me. <laughs> Seriously, guys, God created Eden as a paradise, a world of wonder, beauty, adventure, intimacy, and we think that in the eternity to come we're going to be sent to church forever because that's better somehow? Come on. That is not what is written on our hearts. There's no hope in that. 
Satan steals our hope in other ways too. Some people figure, a lot of people figure, heaven is whatever you like best on earth on steroids, right? Designer heaven, do-it-yourself heaven, different for every one of us. If you love golf, heaven is free golf. No slow golfers ever holding you up, forever. To those who like to eat, heaven is an eternal buffet. Whatever you want, as much as you want, and you'll never get fat. For some of us, heaven is a back scratch that'll last for centuries. How cool would that be? For some of you guys, it's a lake where fish are this big, just waiting for you, all right? For some Muslims, it's 70 virgins. For 70 virgins, that's hell. That's humor. They're stupid pictures, aren't they? Spending an eternity self-absorbed. An eternity in a heaven that is no bigger than your feeble little imagination. And an eternity that's all about me, what I want, what I like. How shallow, how boring, how small. To think that we can dream bigger dreams than God, that we can write a better ending to our story than God can. How presumptuous. How arrogant. I mean, even the pictures of heaven in our scriptures mislead us. They're not meant to, but they do. The book we call Revelation describes heaven as a golden city, perfectly square, streets of gold. Guys, it is not supposed to be a literal picture of heaven. It's telling us that heaven is going to be perfect, that it's more grand than we can capture with words. It is a metaphor, not a blueprint. Here's the deal. God has planted this hope in our hearts. He set eternity in our hearts. And all of our best stories draw their power from what God has planted here. We've been trying to express it in the stories we tell, but words can't express it. We can barely even imagine it. Follow me into this. It'll take your breath away. The Apostle John saw a vision and he wrote, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, a new dawn revealing a brand new paradise, a paradise that's vaguely familiar to us. Some of you saw the movie Titanic. Can you picture in your mind the final scene? Jack is dead. Rose is an old, old woman, her life behind her fading like the photographs on her nightstand. We see the once great ship broken and rotting at the bottom of the sea, and something begins to happen. Down in the depths of the sea, a light begins to break through. Pure and fresh as on the first morning of creation. It streams through every portal, every hatch, awakening every haunted place. The glorious light cleanses and restores the grandeur of the ship before our eyes. The rubble disappears. The ship glistens as it did on the day it was born. In the twinkling of an eye, it's reborn. The ballroom doors are open, and there are the characters of the story gathered together again. A grand party is underway as the lovers are reunited. That's a picture right out of the Bible. It's a restoration. Everything broken is fixed. Paradise is regained. That's what God has been trying to tell us all along. All the way back in the Old Testament story, God said through Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. In fact, that's what so much of Jesus' ministry on earth was all about. We just didn't see it. He kept working these miracles. Why? Jesus didn't heal the sick to empty their hospitals. He didn't feed the 5,000 so they'd never be hungry again. 
He raised a few dead, but he didn't go empty the graveyards yet. Jesus' miracles were signposts, guys. They were pointers. They were glimpses of the kind of kingdom that he was going to build. They were simply peaks at happily ever after. Look what he did. When Jesus touched the blind, they could see. And all the beauty of the world opened to them. When he touched the deaf, they could hear. They could hear laughter and music, wind and rain. When he touched the lame, they could dance. When he broke five loaves and bread and two little fish, none of the thousands were hungry anymore, at least that day. When he spoke to a demon, the power of Satan was broken. When he spoke to a corpse, the power of death was broken. You see what he's doing? He's giving us a peek at what's coming glimpse. Whatever we have broken, he will restore. Whatever creation has broken, he will restore. The Bible says he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, pain, because the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. That's what's coming. Gives us a peek every year of what's coming. Winter can be fun for a while, but if it was always winter, we'd grow desolate, wouldn't we? Which is what the white witch did in Narnia, if you know the story. Always winter, never spring. So the trees are leafless, the flowers are gone, the air is cold, sometimes bitter, and then Aslan returns, and it becomes brand new. Sunshine, warmth, color. The grass is green and softened, the trees blossom, the flowers spring up. It's a picture what God has in mind for all of us. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. I am giving paradise back to you, he says. That's the surprise at the end of Titanic. That's what happens to the Lion King. The evil one is cast down and creation is made new. At the end of the Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth is restored. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's what the unicorn said when he summed up what everyone was feeling, he stamps his right foot on the ground and he neighs and then he cries, I've come home at last. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. You see, guys, that's the longing that God has planted in you. Our world will be restored to its beauty forever. A new heaven and a new earth. Our world restored to what it was meant to be. That's far more than that, because heaven's not about a place. Heaven was written in the plural. It's not just the restoration of paradise, it's the restoration of relationship as it was meant to be. Because you were not made to go it alone. Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway was on this amazingly beautiful island, but it was no heaven because he was alone. We were created for relationship. I mean, if God gave you a home in the Garden of Eden and you were alone, it wouldn't be heaven. I'd rather be in a drab and ordinary place with my family and friends than in the most beautiful place on earth, alone. Ever watch the series Alone on TV? That's the premise. They take these people and isolate them in some of the most gorgeous places. The toughest obstacle they face is isolation because we weren't meant to go it alone. 
And that reuniting with God and that reuniting with God's people, that restoration of relationship as it was meant to be is part of what God has written on your hearts. That's what gives power to so many of our great stories. It's all the people reunited at the end of Titanic. It's Maximus reunited with wife and son in the Elysian fields of Gladiator. It's the fellowship of the ring finding Gandalf alive again and they're reunited it's Farm Boy and Buttercup finally together. It's Penny and Maverick flying off into the sunset in their P-51 top gun. It's Dorothy going home. You have to understand, guys, Dorothy was not homesick for Kansas. Have you ever been to Kansas? <laughs> the land of Oz was infinitely more wondrous than Kansas. She was homesick for Aunt Em and Uncle Henry. When Jesus died, they put him in a tomb. His friends and his family mourned. His enemies were smug. His friends were broken. That was Friday, and then comes Sunday. And Jesus came back, and he, he didn't just escape from the tomb and go back to heaven. He came be with us. Started walking with us, talking with us, eating with us, reassuring us that the same victory over death that he was living would be ours too. Someday there'll be this most amazing reunion, which is why he said to that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Revelation paints this amazing picture. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now with his people. He'll dwell with us. We will be his people. And God himself will be with us and be our God. That is the heart of heaven. Imagine the reunion with our Creator face to face to hear Him laugh, to feel His love with all that has ever stood before us swept away. And not just that reunion with God, but also with God's people. You look forward to some of that, worry some of you. I mean, there are people you don't want to spend eternity with. Right? I mean, there's some people <laughs> that are weird, grumpy. You can spend a couple hours a week with them here, but you don't want to spend eternity with them. That's heaven. But here's the deal, guys. We're going to be reunited with people who've been purged of their sin and restored to what they were meant to be. I won't be. The short-tempered, self-centered, tongue, sometimes self-important, sometimes boring preacher that you know. You won't be the occasionally mean and grumpy and petty and self-centered folks I see here sometimes. We'll be everything we wish we were and way more. We'll be everything God made us to be, glorious. Imagine the adventures we'll have, the things we will build together. We really can't imagine big enough. But here's the tough one. Will everybody we love be there? Will everyone you love make it to heaven? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. So he sends more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that dinner's been prepared, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off. It's a sobering truth, guys, perhaps more sobering than any other truth of this epic. Must understand not everybody lives happily ever after in any story. We get so caught up in the hope of Cinderella and her prince that we forget the fate of the stepsisters. 
Maximus is reunited family. Commodus doesn't see the Elysian fields. Fellowship of the Ring lips happily ever after, but the Dark Lord Sauron and his orcs don't. Scar, Green Goblin, Gothel, the nemesis of Rapunzel. The White Witch of Narnia, all the others who opposed Aslan, they're dead. Promise of a happily ever after, this new beginning, is only for the friends of God. You see, many of us don't want the life God offers us on God's terms. And God will not force himself on us. And if a man rejects the heart of all things, how will he spend eternity? Now, please understand, in the same way that heaven has been corrupted in our minds by the evil one, so has hell. We think we know what hell is going to be like, but we don't. The Bible gives hints of details, gives metaphors, but no blueprints. But just because people have abused the idea of hell does not mean that it does not exist. Furthermore, some folks who talk a lot about hell would give you the idea that they're glad to see their enemies there. They're going to tell you that God's going to be glad to see his enemies there. That is nearly blasphemy. He won't. The Bible says that God is being patient. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to destroy it. He wants all of us to turn away from our sins. Listen, guys, the one who has pursued us for millennia, the guy who gave his own life to rescue us from a kingdom of darkness has made it crystal clear he doesn't want to lose any of you. He wants all of us with him forever. Sometimes we get excited in stories when at the end of the story, the evil one is dead. Commodus is slain by his own knife in the arena. How cool. Darth Maul falls to the saber of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Great chasm opens and swallows Sauron and his army of orcs. Thor chops off Thanos' head. Mago is slain by the last of the beacons, and we feel this sense of satisfaction, good riddance. God weeps. You must remember hell was not created for mankind, but for the devil and his angels. You must remember hell was never God's intention for any man or any woman. But out of love, God gave us a free will. He gave us a choice, and God will not force himself on any one of us. We forget that we are the ones who betray God. He never betrays us. We are the ones who listen to the lies of the seducer. We are the ones who mistrust the heart of God. Sometimes we don't understand that the final act of self-centered rebellion is simply to refuse to come to the wedding banquet of our God. The supreme sin, the ultimate sin, is to reject God's offer of forgiveness and reconciliation in His Son, Jesus. So in the end, we have two options. We either say to God, Thy will be done. Or God looks at us and says, Then thy will be done. Because if we insist, God will grant what we think we want to be separated from him forever. The Bible says, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. Please choose life. You see, guys, life is exactly what God offers. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to the fullest. Truth is, there's simply no more 
simple or beautiful way to say it. What is coming is the restoration of life as it was meant to be. It's the return of the beauty and the intimacy and the adventure that we were created for and better forever. Everything that is good here is simply a shadow of what's coming. There, all that we truly long for, truly long for, we'll have. There, all we truly long to be, we will be. There, all that hurts us so deeply will be swept away. That's where real life begins. So here it is again. We can most truly say that they lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And now at last, they're beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I hope to see you there. You pray with me? Father, what a magnificent hope. Sometimes we get all caught up and depressed in this life and we forget that it's only a preamble. Help us to live this life with an awareness of the eternity that's coming because it makes all the difference in the world. Fill us with your hope. Thank you for that hope. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. There is a light, tell me.
now home in glory your face i see my pain no more my fear will cease i bow my life i fix my eyes on christ my king Be seated for just a couple minutes. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, we've got just a few things that we want to run by you, let you know kind of what's going on, especially in this Christmas season. So we're going to start with this. Uh, this Wednesday, we have a family event here. Uh, it's the uh, same time as what we usually do our Wednesday night programming. We're having a meal at 5.30, but then at 6.30, we're going to be in this room. Uh, there's going to be some children's program going on. There's going to be some laughter and jokes. I'm bringing jokes. Me too. I'm bringing jokes. All right, so, so you should be here for that. That'll be great. And uh, there's going to be some competitions. There's going to be uh, some prizes. There's going to be gifts for like, you know, prizes for those who look the best in their Christmas festivities. And there's also been a word uh, ugly that's also been used in reference to those who may dress in Christmas festivities there will be prizes for that as well, all right? And so you want to come and be a part of that. Again, that's all 5.30, and then at 6.30, it's going to be in this room. And we want to encourage you, bring some like, a, like your favorite finger food, appetizer thing. We're having the dinner downstairs, but then up here, we're going to have some snacks, dessert kinds of things. Brownies. Doc has requested brownies. And if you feel the need, especially after listening to a sermon about eternity, if you feel a need to just get in on the good side, brownies might be that thing. All right, and so that's, that's kind of this week. After that, during uh, Christmas weekend, our services, again, are on Saturday night at 5.30, Sunday morning here at 10.30, and then even Sunday evening, our youth service is having their worship service again as well, and that will be taking place, I believe, at 6, uh, 5.30, students at 5.30, uh, and they're inviting families as well. So we want you to see those opportunities, opportunities for you to come and worship, be able to spend the holidays with your families and, and celebrate the ways that you do, but make sure that you make it to, to some of those things as well to be able to worship with your church family. 
A couple things that we do during the Christmas season out in the foyer. If you go out to the foyer, turn left, there's a giving wall. You'll see all these little ornaments. You can snip one of those ornaments off. It'll have the name of something that you can purchase for one of the organizations around town that we support. We want to supply them with these little gifts during the Christmas season. They'll get it to the people who need it. That's a really cool thing that we participate in every year. The other thing is that for the last several years, this church has been extremely generous. We have always met our budget. In fact, we've exceeded our budget. Um, it looks like we're going to exceed our budget again this year. And I just wanted to let you guys know that with whatever exceeds our budget, we're going to be able to do some cool things. We'll be able to put some money toward the church debt. That may not be cool for some of you. We're going to be able to give some special monies to a couple of our, uh, the missions that we support, some of the people here local and some of the people that, are, that, are, um, that we have sent off from the church. And we might even be able to tackle one of the big projects here at the church for our elementary school kids. That'll make some of you guys really, really happy. So in any case, I just want to let you know we've been, you've been very generous. It's going to give us the opportunity to be very, very generous at the end of the year. So thank you for that. Ben? All right, so today we concluded our uh, first section of this Believe series. Where it's all off this book, Believe, by Randy Frazee. We called this first section unfiltered because we wanted to get down to what, just very clearly, what is it that we actually believe from there, we're going to be going into some other things. Uh, Doc will kind of give you some vision of that here in just a moment. But for the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing kind of a traditional Christmas series, uh, looking at some different things. We're calling it Arrival. We're going to be talking about the anticipation and then the fulfillment of that. Uh, and so we encourage you to kind of uh, look forward to those things. And then as we get into January, we're going to kick off the next part of this Believe series. We're going to call it Skill Set. Because this first part is about those things that we believe as Jesus followers that set us apart. The second part are things that we do because we're Jesus followers. There are some fundamental things that we do because we're Jesus followers. We're going to unpack those things in the next part of this series. I think it's going to be really, really good. You're going to enjoy it. Skill set. That's going to start in January. Excellent. And I would love to spend all day with you. But Doc says you have to leave. <laughs> all right. So thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. He'll have a big 